All right, let's get back to gardening and get back to the phone lines. And uh, it's Shirley's turn. Good morning, Shirley. Good morning. Good morning. I have a question. I have a question about oak sprouts. We okay. need to get rid of them. We've got millions of them, and they're hard and hard to walk on. And I was wondering if there was something that would get rid of them. Well, realize that they are coming off the root system of your tree. And so you can't put anything toxic on them without damaging the big tree that's out there. Now, root sprouts are a sign of stress and the different things that can stress an oak tree. Drought is one thing. Soil compaction is another. And one of the things that we see most commonly is where the trunk of the tree has been buried. When you look at a big oak tree, I mean, it ought to be spreading out at the base. You ought to see what we call the root flare showing. But so many times when builders come in and level the land to build homes and they they pile up soil around the base of the tree, this stresses the tree and it leads to a much larger number of those little root sprouts coming up. So I've seen a lot of times where simply by exposing the root flare, the number of sprouts coming off the tree went down by about 90%. Now, as far as getting rid of the sprouts, I mean, you can go in with a grubbing hoe or something like that. It doesn't seem to really hurt the big trees to go through and just kind of cut out some of that root mass that all these sprouts are coming up from. Um, you can, uh, I guess in a, I, I don't like the idea, but if you just had to do something and wanted to put down some weed block or something like that, I, I don't like the weed block fabrics because they tend to hold too much moisture underneath. But if you say, I just, you know, I just don't want to put up with these root sprouts. I guess you could do something like that. You could uh, consider building a rock patio or a deck over the area, something like that. But as long as the tree is healthy, uh, it is going to put off at least a few root sprouts. And if it is stressed in any way, and I suspect that it is stressed if you're getting a lot of them, um, it's, it's just a natural thing that live oaks do, and there's no way to totally stop it or prevent it. Okay. Well, does it hurt the tree? If you are looking for the root, you know, flare of it huh? to dig down and all that, because it's just masses of roots. Oh, I know. Does yeah. No, it does not hurt the tree. And the benefits, you know, far outweigh the tree will become so much healthier that any bit of damage that you do to that mass of roots that's around the trunk. Uh, that will be of no consequence whatsoever. If it's more work than you want to take on yourself, a number of good arborists, uh, I happen to use that are tree care, but uh, they have a machine which is called an air spade. It uses compressed air to blow that dirt back away. And, uh, I mean, they do this very regularly. It's not really expensive. A couple of years ago, we actually had them put on a demonstration. They brought the air spade out. We had about 100 people come over to see how it worked. And uh, they actually uncovered one of the trees in our parking lot to demonstrate it. I'm sure there are other good arborist companies that have air spades now. They're not complex. And, uh, I mean, in less than an hour, even on a big tree, uh, they can totally expose that root flare. And uh, it's a lot of work to do yourself. And if you, you know, if yeah. you if you can do it, by all means, go for it. And don't worry about those little uh, kind of fibrous roots that you will be cutting away. But if you want somebody to do the job for you, any company with an air spade can do it quickly and without a whole lot of expense. Okay. All right, then. 
Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Great question, Shirley. I appreciate your call this morning. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Bye. Certainly. Goodbye. All right. Sue is up next. Good morning, Sue. Good morning, Bob. Thanks so much for taking my call. Thank you so much for calling. Um, I live in the Bull Verde area, okay. and uh, my husband, my husband, and I have um, one very large raised area to grow. Um, hopefully, my large plumerias this spring. Okay. Um, and I have never tested the soil, nor do I know how to. We we brought in a lot of soil over the last five years. We've uh-huh. grown tomatoes and done pretty well, but now I want to sink some of my plumerias in the soil. And I also want to use, um, you know, great fertilizer. But I've been told over and over again by Plumeria addicts that I really need to test that soil in order for the fertilizer to actually work. And so I guess my biggest question is, how do I do that? <laughs> well, uh, that's, you've asked several good questions here. But now you're just going to sink the pots down in the ground. You're not planning to take the plants out of the pot and actually plant them in the soil, are you? There is only one, that is correct, but yep. there is one large, large tree that um, does not, has never done well in the pot itself, uh-huh. and it is a pot, it's not the plastic container, and I do want to see if I could sink that in without the pot, but the other ones w- will be in their pots themselves. Okay, well, just keep in mind that when the weather gets cold next fall, they have to come in, period. Uh, plumeria yeah. turned to mush at 31 degrees. So, but I've known people that planted them in the ground and then, you know, dig them up and just basically leave them bare root in the garage over the winter months and plant them back out again in the spring. The ones that stay in pots will get bigger, will flower sooner, and will have more flowers than the ones that get the other treatment. But, you know, you've, you've got to do what you've got to do. But, um, first of all, if you are using an organic fertilizer, um, it, you really don't have to worry about a, a soil test per se. Uh, Espoma makes a good liquid fertilizer. Fish emulsion is a good liquid fertilizer. Medina makes a product called Has to Grow Plant. We used to grow uh, about 20,000 orchids and used Has to Grow Plant, and it worked extremely well. Um, I think uh, Fox Farms makes two or three different liquid organic fertilizers and these will all work very well on your plumerias without going to the trouble of a soil test now if you want to do a soil test that's certainly you know practical and it's good information to have i can probably tell you exactly what it's going to say before you spend the money for a soil test but uh (laughs) do not i mean i've seen thousands of them do not just go you know to a nursery and um you know, and, and send it off. The The problem is, and, you know, the way that most A&M and most other universities and places do, uh, they take your soil, they dump it in a strong acid and a strong base, and they look at what dissolves out, and there's your soil test. They'll tell you how much nitrogen, how much phosphorus, how much calcium all these things are. The problem with that type of soil test is it doesn't tell you what the plant can get to. Your soil can be loaded with phosphorus, for instance, but it's tied up in a form that the plant can't use the way the plant accesses the nutrients 
is the plant's roots release carbon dioxide. The carbon dioxide reacts with water in the soil to form something called carbonic acid. And then that carbonic acid is what frees up a lot of different nutrients and makes them available to the plants. There is one soil testing company here in Texas which uses a carbonic acid extraction process, which is the same thing plants do. So their soil test, in my opinion, is by far the best. It's the most accurate. It's the most useful. And that company is called Texas Plant and Soils Labs. TPSL. In fact, I think you just Google TPSL to get all the information you need. They're down in Edinburgh in the Rio Grande Valley. They are no more expensive than the uh, university tests, and they give you far, far more information. So uh, um, you can go online and get the info. You can call down there. The guy that runs the lab is a great guy named Noe Garcia. And uh, Noe knows more about soil tests than, you know, any of the university guys do. And if you want a soil test, TPSL, Texas Plant and Soils Labs, are the only lab that I really will recommend to you that will give you a real good soil test. But unless you're in some real rare soil type, it's going to come back saying very low in nitrogen, uh, moderately low in organic material, very high in phosphorus, very high in potassium, uh, low in iron, um, and all of these things you can certainly just use in a good liquid organic fertilizer. Your plumeria and other things are going to grow well. But if you'd like to have a soil test, um, it's not, I don't know, 15, 20 bucks, something like that, and they'll give you a very complete soil test. That sounds perfect. Thank you so much. I really appreciate all of your information. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try the organic liquid fertilizers. Um, typically, I get the the um granules um uh-huh. they're like nine month granules and yep. then i do add the liquid fertilizers that have to grow i've always used yeah so i i may just i may just kind of see how things go using the liquid fertilizer well do that maybe try some of ladybug's happy frog along with your uh, has to grow or i know howard likes very much i haven't used enough of it to really give you an answer but he likes a liquid fertilizer uh, made by espoma I'm sure Fanix carries that here in San Antonio, but it's uh, um, I, I I like blending. You know, I think things I think plants like a varied diet, uh, just like uh, we other creatures do. So I would, uh, and again, I still like the has to grow as a base, but uh, experiment with some of the others as well. The granular stuff, especially this stuff that has a you know it says three months, six months, nine months, whatever. Stay away from that because. What they don't tell you is the release of nutrients from those products, and they're mainly Osmocote products, but it's based, if you read the fine print, it says that's how long they last at 70 degrees and uh, and adequate soil moisture. The problem is that in cold weather, uh, those products relieve virtually no nutrients. In hot weather, they release nutrients so fast it burns the roots. So I think you're creating more problems than you're solving. I think you can leave those out totally and you'll do much better on strictly a liquid diet. Okay, sounds wonderful. Thank you so much, Bob. I appreciate it. You're certainly welcome, Sue. I appreciate the call this morning. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. All right.
Tom, let me get a quick break out of the way here, and then we'll be back and talk with Tom. I get to talk to, to you for a moment about water garden gems, and of course you know how I feel about water gardening. Today, I realize this is a little short notice, but I just got the email uh, yesterday. They're doing a special seminar this morning, 930 over at Water Garden Gems, all about building your dream pond. Now, this one, there is a charge for it. It's a $20 per person charge, but let me tell you what, you'll go away with a tremendous amount of information. And uh, like I say, it's this morning, and it's it's all about building building a pond, a waterfall, whatever kind of water feature you would like. And it's just a kickoff to the new year in a big way. So if you're looking for something fun to do this morning, head on over toward Water Garden Gyms in a little while. They're located out on I-10 East. They're about six miles outside Loop 1604. You're headed over toward Seguin. You take the Trainer Hale Road exit. Go over to the uh, two-way access road on the north side of the freeway and continue down about a mile further on your left-hand side. You'll find water garden gems. Not a lot of water lilies in bloom right now, but they do have beautiful plants over there. They've got incredible fish, both fancy uh, goldfish and koi. And, of course, they've got all the things you need to build or maintain a water garden. The liners, the pumps, the filters. Anytime's a good day. Anytime except Friday. They're closed on Fridays, but any other time's a good day to go visit Water Garden Gems. But like I say, if you want to get in on a on a good seminar this morning at nine thirty, and uh, they would love you, just call them in advance. Tell them you're coming over, and like I say, it's twenty dollars per person, but it'll be money well spent at Water Garden Gems. All right, back to gardening. We're going to talk to Tom and then to Brian. Uh, good morning, Tom. Good morning, Bob. What a beautiful day out there. Oh, it's just going to be another gorgeous one up near 70 degrees. <laughs> that's that's kind of January I like. <laughs> yes, sir. Hey, I had a question about Habiturf. Um, I have a, a part of my yard that's about 60 by 80, and it's just uh, all, it's always been weeds. And mm-hmm. I was thinking about seeding some Habiturf in there. And when you go to the um, Ladybird uh, Wildflower Center website, they talk about tilling it to to eight inches and mixing in compost, et cetera, and then seeding. Do I need to go to all that trouble, rent a tiller and all that, or is there some easier way? Well, it is one seed that needs to be in the ground. It can't just be sprinkled on the surface the way the Bermuda can be or rye or something like that. Tilling eight inches deep, no, it's not going to happen. <laughs> and uh, it's certainly not necessary um, but I, I would either, um, is the area basically just bare soil now? What's out there now? Well, it's, 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 uh, gets covered with weeds, you know, during uh-huh. the growing season in the summer when there's little rain, it kind of, kind of becomes more bare again, but. Okay. Well, it, you know, the soil is very moist now. It's probably pretty wet. 60, 80 is pretty good size area. And, um, if you could, uh, of course, I, of course, would rake off any winter weeds or maybe even kill them off with orange oil and vinegar first. If you could get out there with a hard rake, if you would be able to cover the seed after you plant, I don't see any reason to till. Um, if you did want to go through and, like I say, deep tillage, totally unnecessary. But if you could, if you could work up the top inch, inch, two inches of the soil, it would get your habit turf off to a good start. The other option here is to, uh, you get your seed probably from Douglas King Seed here in San Antonio, but there's no mandate that you have to plant it all at once. I mean, you can get out there, 60 by 80 area, if you start out with a 10 by 10 area today and a 10 by 20 area tomorrow, first thing you know, it'll be all done. And that's, uh, 
I know when I built a rebuilt a 400-foot centuries-old rock wall on my property, everybody said, oh, you'll never be able to do that. I built about, you know, 5 to 10 feet a day I rebuilt, and all of a sudden it was all done. Sure, it took a month, but uh, um, if if you if this is something you want to do over time, the habitur seed is actually, as you well know, it's a blend of three native grasses, and there's no mandate that says you have to do it all at once. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, it will be right next to my vegetable garden. Uh-huh. Do you think that'll be an issue with, you know, seeds blowing no. in and starting to grow there? No, I don't think okay. that'll be an issue at all. Okay. If it does, you can dig it up and sell your own Habiturf sod <laughs> <laughs> and repay your investment. But, no, these, you know, these native grasses, I mean, I'd want, I'd, I keep like a two-foot barrier um, either weed block is the one one of the few uses I think weed block is good for, or even just six mil plastic. I keep like a, a two foot wide barrier against the blasted Bermuda grass and things all the way around my garden. And I think that'd be a good idea with your habit turf, just like it would with any other grass. But no, it's not going to be a it's not going to be an issue with uh, lots of invasion there. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate the help. You are more than welcome, and uh, wish. Uh, you and all your family, just the happiest of New Year's. Hope it's a good, healthy, uh, great New Year for everybody, Tom. Thank you. Same to you, Bob. Thank you so much. We'll talk again. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. All right, uh, so let's talk to Brian, and then it'll be Abel. Good morning, Brian. Hey, good morning, Bob. Great show this morning. Well, uh, thank thanks you. for taking the call. Absolutely. Uh, well, there's a little bit chilly down in Magnolia, but I just got one question for you. We've gotten quite a bit of rain um, recently, obviously, and I have a low spot on the new property that uh, seems to hold some water. Uh, I'm working on, I don't know, either a French drain or somehow to either make a pond out of it or something. But in the meantime, it's got a little bit of a sour you know, smell to it. Sure. There's nothing harmful about orange oil, just a, like a quick spray uh, to help with that. Is there or what would you recommend for that? Well, there's certainly nothing wrong with orange oil, and, and this is just standing water. I mean, orange oil, too much of it would be toxic to fish and things like that, but that's you don't have anything like that in this spot, do you? Uh, no, so this is just in the, in the pasture. Yeah. Um, it will certainly improve, uh, uh, you know, things as far as his odors. Uh, hydrogen peroxide would be another option. Um, long term, you know, you're either going to do a regular drain, a French drain, or you're just going to fill the area in. Um, I doubt if it's really suitable for creating a pond. And sadly, it's not going to be many years. We're going to have the kind of moisture that we've had for the past <laughs> for the past three months. Uh, it will be back to drought before we know it. But uh, orange oil would be would take the smallest amount. I think orange oil or hydrogen peroxide. Orange oil is basically going to destroy the smell. Um, hydrogen peroxide is going to do more to aerate the area and uh, oxygenated, which is just going to be a little bit longer-term way of improving the soil, improving the water, and eliminating the uh, the putrefaction, basically, is what you're smelling. But, you know, you're not Absolutely. going to hurt your land with either of those procedures. How much uh, how much hydrogen peroxide would you say? If you – would you be able to guesstimate how many gallons of water are standing out there? Oh, man. <laughs> it's probably 20 feet by – yeah, thirty feet. If I was to clump it all together, it's in a, in a shady spot out front, uh, kind of under some trees. Okay, uh, just not draining. Um, you know, we're probably 
if you were going out to buy hydrogen peroxide at the grocery store, you'd probably be looking at two or three gallons. Now, I I would think about, um, we have places like Water Garden Gyms, we have some health food stores, we have, uh, you know, a number of places, uh, even some of the pool companies have a more concentrated, I think it's like 27% hydrogen peroxide, and um, you have to handle it carefully because it is caustic uh, to your skin sure. in that quantity, but um, if you were to get that, you know, probably a pint would be plenty to take care of an area that size. And since you're probably not going to be able to solve this problem tomorrow, um, it would be, you know, cost efficient. As long as you keep it sealed up, it, it keeps and hydrogen peroxide does have other, uh, uses. So, um, it, if I were doing it, I'd probably look for, you know, a gallon of the concentrate rather than going out and buying the 2% or half percent. Uh, which is what you're going to find at the pharmacy or the grocery store. That uh, sounds like a deal. I knew orange oil was something. I hadn't thought about hydrogen peroxide. Yeah, the uh, orange oil. If anybody knew? I thought I thought you would, so I appreciate it. Well, then the orange oil or the uh, hydrogen peroxide also will flocculate the soil and actually improve the water absorption. Uh, it's just you know, like we talk frequently, the the orange oil is going to treat the symptoms very successfully. The uh, hydrogen peroxide is going to actually work at what causes the problem. And um, so, oxygen. yeah, do do, gotcha. do what works for you. All right, Bob. Well, I know it's not technically a garden question, but it's close enough to the garden. I thought you might know <laughs> it. It's my great pleasure to do so. And uh, as always happens around the first of the year, you know, people, people don't get up quite as early on the weekends. Lucky people. So I'm always glad to have the opportunity to talk to you, Brian. You have a happy new All year. Right, uh, you too as well. Thank you Take so much. Care. All right. Goodbye. All right. We'll talk to Abel next. Good morning, Abel. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Uh, how are you, sir? I just a uh, great day yesterday. Going to be a, probably an even prettier day today, so I'm Wonderful. good. Thank you for sharing all your wisdom and knowledge. My experience would be the better way to put it. I uh, I try to keep you from making all the same mistakes that I've made over the years. So uh, well, it's, a, it's a pleasure. Um, I have three Arizona ash. They're about 20, 25, 30 years old. Okay. And then I, in my backyard, and then I have some oak trees in my front yard. I'm trying to get a reputable company that will come and trim them because Right now, you have a lot of these guys that just have a ladder and a, and a, and a trailer, and they're trying to do the work, but I know that's not right. Well, you recommend somebody? Yeah, hack, whack, and stack is what we call the great majority of the ones that are out there. Um, the the guys that I have used for years, and um, they're, they're not cheap, but they they know what they're doing, and they'll do a great job of it. I use Edder Tree Care. Um, their phone number is yeah Etter E T T E R six five four eight seven three three. That's two ten area code. And um, can you repeat the number again? Yeah two ten six five four eight seven three three. Okay. You probably okay. talked to either Ed or Alicia. They one of the greatest arborists that I've ever known named David Vaughn retired from Etter Tree Care the 1st of January, and he's doing consulting now, but I you know, I just, oh man, he just he just was always my resource and will continue to be the resource I go to for information, but uh, for pruning, for, you know, all that type of work, I, I have great confidence. I've known Ed Etter probably for 30 years, and uh, 
Um, the, the only problem is that they're very busy. And um, so just get on the list, uh, get them to come out and talk to you about what needs to be done. And uh, I, I will. the thing I will tell you about them is they will never recommend work that does not need to be done. Some of these hack-whacking stackers, uh, you know, they're looking for work, and they will, they will come up with all kinds of things to take up time and take your money. Ed's busy enough that he will do what needs to be done and no more than that because he's got somebody else waiting in line for his services as well. So, um, like I say, they give you a very honest answer as to what needs to be done, and they will give you a fair price. But uh, it's going to be more than, you know, than, than the hack and stackers. But they're valuable trees, and I certainly think it's worth it. Okay. Well, well, and I guess right now is the time to trim all your trees, correct? There's never a bad time to trim your trees. Um, your ashes, it's a very good time because the leaves are off the tree and it just makes it easier to see the limb structure and you can do, uh, it's just easier to do at this time of the year. Um, oak trees can be pruned 365 days a year. Some of these little, uh, communities, shall we say in the San Antonio area aren't real well informed and they say, oh, you should never prune at such and such a time. The truth is that as long as you're painting every wound, um, mm-hmm. then you, you can trim 365 days a year. Uh, these fly-by nighters that, uh, don't want to go to that much trouble that will lie to you and tell you, oh, we don't have to paint the small wounds. Yeah, it's safer to do that in the middle of the winter because there are fewer insects to spread the oak wilt. But the truth of the matter is that every wound should be painted no matter how big or small. And, uh, there's, you know, 365 days a year are good days to, uh, to trim on the oaks if you need to. Okay. One more question. There's Arizona ash. I heard they don't have a long lifespan. Is that correct? If they if they are not well taken care of, then their average lifespan is probably 20 to 30 years. If they are taken care of properly, which means watering through drought and not, not butchering them when you prune them, um, the lifespan is more like 45, 50 years. So that's not much compared to an oak that can live 400 years or a pecan mm. tree that can or a Montezuma cypress, the oldest one I know of, is only 2,500 years old. Um, mm-hmm. So compared to those trees, no, an ash is not long-lived. But uh, compared to a peach tree or a plum tree, it's very much longer-lived. So if you're taking care of it, you can you can get, uh, you know, 40, 45 years out of an Arizona ash with, with good health and uh, not real, not many problems. Okay. Well, th- thank you so much for sharing your your experience (laughs) you know will rogers once said the good judgment comes mainly from experience which comes Mm -hmm. mainly from bad judgment so mea culpa i i'm guilty as charged able you have a wonderful new year and you can call anytime i can help thank you said thank you sir god bless you you as well bye all right back to guarding and back to the phone lines going to be martha and james and faye and martha's up first good morning martha Good morning. Good morning. My daughter wants to grow some big-leafed hydrangeas and get blooms maybe in August. Is this an impossibility? (laughs) Well, no, it's not an impossibility. (laughs) It may be a little challenging. Um, And she's, I'm sure, looking for the big, fancy pink ones and white ones. Yes. Yep. Um, the, the easiest hydrangea to grow in this area is, uh, something that we call, um, oh, they're, they're, um, 
what's the word I'm trying to think of? Uh, they they're oak leaf hydrangeas, and okay. they can be grown in the ground here. They're very successful. They are not as water demanding. But if you were going to put a hydrangea in the landscape, that is the one I would most recommend. But now, if you want the big, colorful, fancy flowers, the oak leaves bloom. They're just not. They don't look like mm-hmm. the ones you see in San Francisco or Houston or Tyler. But uh, you can grow the others. But uh, selection is important. There are some reblooming varieties uh, that are usually the the series name is Endless Summer. And the endless summer hydrangeas bloom over and over again through the growing season. Uh, they want to grow in the shade. They want to grow in very rich soil. And they want to be watered about every two or three days. So they're very, very water thirsty. I certainly would not plant a large number of them. But if, uh, and it's never going to look like it does if you're, <laughs> if you're driving around San Francisco. But if you want that kind of hydrangea, um, then uh, like I say, the endless summer varieties can certainly be grown here. Uh, just good soil, shade, and lots and lots of water. If you want a hydrangea, this is more what we call the lace cap type that blooms, but is not quite as showy, but it's much easier to maintain than look for the uh, oak leaf varieties. Okay. Um, soil is sandy. Okay. And so what do we need to add to bring the pH closer to the Well, just add com- compost, compost, and more compost. Okay. It's don't worry about what the actual pH is. Where you're high in organic oh, material, um, you know, the just the humic acids, the fulvic acids, the things that come from that compost will be everything the hydrangeas need to do well. And uh, the number really is, is not a good indication of how the plants are going to do. Well, that's true. I just knew that. Ours is lower than it is further east. But. Well, it's ours is actually higher than it is further oh, well, east. It's okay. more alkaline. Sorry. Yeah, more alkaline. But yes. uh, just sure. if you're in sandy soil, just, you know, practically pure compost with a little bit of sand sprinkled in. Hydrangeas will do very well. The water's going to be the main thing she's going to really have to provide plenty of. Okay. Mother always planted it in the shade on the north side of the house. That's fine. They're very cold hardy. It's perfectly normal to drop all their leaves, even freeze back to some extent in the winter, but they come back in climates much colder than ours. Okay. I'm setting looking at a ad for Proven Winners Starlight Hydrania. Know anything about that one? It's just one of the newer, improved varieties. Be sure, read on there that it is a reblooming type. Uh, Proven Winners, great company, and they tend to uh, select and propagate the best of the best in most things. But uh, they're they're not the only ones out there. I don't know if they did the endless summer, but I know they do have some uh, good new hydrangeas out there. But just read and be sure it's one of the reblooming types. Okay, thank you ever so much. Happy New Year. May everything grow grow greatly and bless you. (laughs) And you and your family and and your pets and everybody else. I hope 2019 is the best year ever. And her hydrangeas. (laughs) And her hydrangeas especially. Thanks, Martha. We'll talk again. Bye-bye. All right, let's talk to James. What's going on this morning, James? Morning, Bob. I got all the heat mats covered with trays, man. We're <laughs> in tomato city out here. It's uh, hard to believe that tomato season is just around the corner. It's uh, yes, sir, the, 
the early uh, hoop house tomatoes go in the middle of February. Yeah. So uh, that's what we're working on right now. Yep. And all the peppers. Well, it's uh, you know seems like seems like by the time winter really gets into place, the folks who are going to grow their own from seed, uh, that's what you've got to be doing is out there getting everything started and ready, so you'll be ready to plant uh, when the calendar says it's time. the The days are getting longer, and for long we'll be starting to warm up a little bit. So it sounds like you're getting prepared. Yes, sir. I'm having all the fun out here. Hey, hey uh, uh, one of my barrel guys has got a thousand gallon barrel he said for a pretty good price and uh i've been thinking about trying to pump water out of the stock tank it's full of course uh-huh fill up that barrel and then run it through a, a drip system with the flag emitters but there's nobody in this world that knows how to do that they don't you know as far as the filters uh, nobody can tell me anything well, I'm do you surprised. have a guy that uh, that has done that or, or uh, sells products to uh, uh, drippers? I'd talk to the guys out at Water Garden Gems. I mean, drip irrigation is not their thing, but uh, water filters and purity are absolutely necessary when you're growing, you know, $100 goldfish, basically, which is what they do. So I would, uh, I'd, I'd sure be looking, uh, I'd, I'd ask them what they would suggest they're probably going to be uh have the best answers in the business um i don't think you know we get a lot of drip stuff from longhorn supply but i and don't think they're going to have the knowledge but uh i'd sure talk to uh shane or one of the good people over at water garden chimps i think it'd probably be a good place to start um yeah they're just over the hill from me i can i can't see them from here but uh, just around the corner and over the hill yeah i i they i would think that they would be a uh you know a a real good source of information um i you know is is this stock tank going to be an ongoing good ongoing water supply for you or is this sort of a one-time thing where you want to get a little uh, extra water storage in place. No, this is a pretty big stock tank. We dug it uh, 40, 50 years ago. Yeah. You know, I don't, I think, yeah, and especially in the winter months, other than a little bit of string algae, I don't think you're going to have a lot to worry about. I think that basically if I were doing it, I probably would set up, you know, above that, thousand gallon tank or whatever you decide on i just use basically the same you know filter that we would for rainwater catchment and uh there are lots of folks can help you with that uh there's a fella up in uh bernie named marked kite k-i-g-h-t uh up in comfort and i realize we're getting a little ways further away from home for you there's uh uh bonert b-o-a-e-h-n-e-r-t bonert lumber company nick up there knows a great deal. Anybody that can help you with setting up uh, or answer questions about rainwater catchment um, could almost certainly help you there. The guys over at Tank Depot, uh, I think they've got a couple of folks over there that are probably very knowledgeable. But I'd be, I'd be treating that water, especially this time of year, I'd be treating that water out of your stock pond just like I'd be treating rainwater. And it's not going to take anything expensive or fancy to do this. Yeah, it's like uh, do we do we put a filter down at the the 
gasoline pump at the pond or do we put the filter up at the tank and then do you put a filter on the outflow and i got a bunch of questions yeah i i would put the filter up at the tank and i would not be forcing water through it i'd be you know i'd i'd have it set up to where you're you're pumping your water out of the tank at about the same rate that it's going to naturally flow through the filter. I'm going to have a fairly open system. I'm not going to try to actually put something in line in the pipes. I'm going to I'm going to basically just, you know, treat it like it was coming off my roof and going down a downspout. I'm going to put the kind of filter there that it would take and I think that's that's all you're going to need. It's going to be very inexpensive and it's going to be a, a great source. Now, you may most people in rainwater catchment use a dual filter system. They use primary filter and a secondary filter and you may have to do that in the summer months if you're doing this just because of all the algaes and things that you're going to have grow in the warmer water. But I don't think this is going to be nearly as hard a process as you think, James. I'd, I'd, again, I'd talk to somebody that knows something about rainwater catchment. I'd talk to the guys over at Water Garden Gems. It would be a real good starting point. But uh, uh, don't let anybody tell you you're going to have to have any $1,000 media filters or anything like that. You know, you ought to be able to do all the filtering you need for 50 bucks once you get the water to it. Well, that, that's what I'm thinking. The big boys use those big monster sand filters, yeah. you know, for doing yeah. Um, hundred thousand acres but yeah you don't need that no no uh hey when it comes to uh describing somebody that has uh uh, messed up a pruning job (laughs) some people use the word the tree's been butchered but Uh a butcher is a very highly skilled individual i'm 100 i'm 100 with you there i like to describe a pruning job uh, that's gone bad as the mutilation. Uh, you're right there. Or in the case of crepe myrtles, like we just call it crepe murder. You know, that sort of tells it too. But uh, that's when you get the the guys with the with the trailer and the chainsaw. That's when you're getting into <laughs> crepe murder country, boys. <laughs> and probably no insurance and lots of other negative uh, things going on there. I'm I'm with you. I'll uh, I, I'll try to avoid the word tree butcher and go to tree mutilators. I think that's a much better description of them. Well, I hate to you know correct the master, but <laughs> that's that's what us a lot of us tree guys like to say <laughs> is that it's been mutilated, man. Ah, you're exactly right, James. You get out and. Uh, Keep those little seedlings going and keep us appraised of what you're doing, and we'll sure look forward to hearing from you. Okay, I can't wait for those first tomatoes, man. Oh, you're making me salivate. Just think about it. Yeah, all right. <laughs> you have a good uh, New Year, and we'll talk again. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines, and it is Faye's turn. Good morning, Faye. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Hope your New Year's off to a good start. Oh, yes, it certainly is. If we could uh, get rid of some of the water standing around here, it would sure help. (laughs) You and I talked about the water table. Well, it's up several inches. (laughs) I tell you what, come summertime, we'll be wishing for it, but it's... uh, just one of those things. It always seems we either have too little or too much. There's there's very little of that Goldilocks effect in between. That's right. Well, I'm I'm looking a couple months ahead here in my call, and I want to eliminate uh, 
planting and or, well i'm going to start some seeds here right away but on the tomatoes um, particularly could you tell me the most productive uh ones you know of, of the various varieties oh gosh you know um i am very fond i like the the smaller fruited varieties i have to say the most productive tomato i've ever seen is one called sun gold um i like sweet 100s i like the black cherry Juliet is a teardrop-shaped tomato that is super productive over a very long season. Um, the old-fashioned uh, porter tomato is sort of a little bit bigger, a golf ball-sized tomato that is very, very productive. Um, if, when you get into the bigger tomatoes, uh, as far as the, most most big tomatoes are going to be very productive in the early season, but production is going to fall off when we get to the super hot weather. But Celebrity is still one of my favorite uh, red slicers. Uh, there's one called Lemon Boy. There's another one called Carolina Gold. Those are two of your yellow tomatoes that produce very heavily, you know, on a on a bigger plant. Um Oh, gosh, Valley Girl is a fairly consistent producer. Uh, the old Better Boy tomato uh, has been around for, I don't know, probably 50, 60 years. It's still a, a good, uh, fairly heavy producer. But uh, those, those are just a few. But I, I have to tell you, on a daily basis, I, when I walk in the garden, the first thing I do is go eat about 20 of those little uh, sun gold tomatoes. So I'd, where you're looking for production, I'd, I'd go fairly heavy on the cherry types and um, because they don't pay any attention to nighttime temperatures. So they produce pretty much all summer long. Your bigger varieties, like I say, I've, I've given you some of the more productive ones, but they're all going to drop off when we start having high night temperatures. Well, that's real helpful. And I had found that too, that those small ones, and they just keep on working for you. So. <laughs> they taste so good, so flavorful. <laughs> oh, they're, they're just great. And in terms of... Um, uh, same question with eggplant. Uh, what are some better uh, varieties for me to start here? Oh golly, there is a uh, uh, there's a real good one. Uh, just old Black Beauty is very good. Um, there's one called Hansel H A N S E L that is a good one. Uh, my favorite is Ishiban, the long Japanese type eggplant because they never get bitter. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Ichiban is is a real good variety.